0: what's up everybody welcome back to another edition of fish bites podcast the miami heralds podcast talking about those miami marlins those playoff contending miami marlins who went out to the west coast and i mean were basically not letting any ball any they're hitting every pitch out of the park one minute then the next minute they have to play a doubleheader unfortunately because of hurricane hillary threatening the west coast and the bats disappeared and uh we're gonna talk, we're gonna dive right into that with my buddy Jordan McPherson. I'm Andre Fernandez, deputy sports editor at the Herald, talking a little Marlins baseball again. And Jordan, what the heck happened to those bats? I mean, you go from five home runs the first day to just anemic offense again two days in a row or two games yeah. in a row.
1: Yeah, I mean that's just isn't that just the epitome of the Marlins season, though? It's like the <laughs> offense, you see just how much they can do if they reach their potential in the Friday game. And then you don't see them sustain it. It's just, it's right. been the problem all year. It's, you see everything, you see the glimpses, you see the wow, this team can be really good, but they don't do it consecutively. You'll get the big game here or there, you'll get the clutch win here and there, you'll get the come from behind win more often than not. And, but when it comes to putting together a lengthy stretch where they're doing everything well all at once, they still seem to be having trouble having everything click on all cylinders. Again, that game on Friday was absolutely fantastic. Corey Sawyer hits two home runs. Jake Berger and Josh and Junior each hit three-run home runs. Jacob Stallings hit the 415-foot home run, the dead center field. I mean, if that tells you just how much they're clicking, Jacob Stalling hitting a 415-foot home run should tell you everything you need to know about yeah. how that game was going to go.
0: That's when you know and, everything's going right, when when even he's hitting one like that, like, you know, crushing one, not just hitting one. Yeah,
1: yeah. But and then you fast-forward to the doubleheader on Saturday, which, just a quick side note, I didn't realize I was going to have to come to the West Coast to have games altered by a hurricane-slash-tropical storm. <laughs> Because that's the first time on my, on the beat, for me at least, since I've been here, that it's happened. Mar- Marlins and just Florida in general, knock on wood, have lucked out since I've been on the beat starting in 2019, where they haven't really had issues regarding storms or weather or anything like that impacting home games. So for it to happen on the West Coast was just a little bit, gave me a little bit of a chuckle. Obviously, the serious situation, luckily doesn't seem like too much happening, at least in the San Diego area where I was, about five miles north of downtown on uh, on Sunday. It was just a steady stream of rain, nothing severe, severe, only about a couple inches of rain. But back to the game itself, both doubleheader games combined, uh, identical 3-1 losses. Marlins took the lead in both of those games. Uh, the first game, uh, Brian De La Cruz RBI double in the fourth gives them the 1-0 lead. Looks like they're going to back Yuri Perez, who finally looked like the Yuri Perez of the first half career-high 10 strikeouts, six shutout innings before the bullpen blew it up in the eighth. And then the second game, looky freaking bets, man. I mean, he had two solo home runs against Braxton Garrett, two of the three runs that he allowed. And of the six runs that the Marlins gave up in those two doubleheader games, looky bets counted for four of them. But two solo home runs in the second game and then the go-ahead two-run single in the eighth against David Robertson. Again, that guy's just good. You tip your cap to him, you know... When he's up, he's going to be able to do some damage, but the Marlins just weren't able to replicate that offense from game one into either game two or game three, and that's where you start to have some pause about where they are and just what they could potentially do, and they've got six weeks to start to try to figure things out as they try to make this push in a very competitive fight for a wild card spot.
0: Yeah, and I mean – it's it's consistency on that side of it that they need because you, again you, you can't afford they're in a dogfight right now. If you haven't seen it already, Jordan did a nice breakdown of all the teams that are involved. Uh, six teams that are fighting for those three wild card spots right now in, in the National League, and all of them, you know, some have a little more difficult stretches than others. But right now, this time of year, you can't you can't just say, oh yeah, we have an easier schedule than the other I, teams are dealing with different issues, injuries, how to sort out their pitching, etc. They every night this, this lineup has to go back to what it was doing well before. and That was consistently getting guys on base, run producing. They've been able to steal base as well this year as we've seen that rise all around the league. So if they get back to those kinds of things, they'll have a chance. But you but you keep having – and unfortunately, I think the the not games are outweighing the, the breakout games. And that, that reminds me of the 2021 and even 2022 Marlins a lot more than – than this year's team. So if they're getting back to old habits, that's definitely not a good sign. But on the pitching side of it, at least it was a rebound game that you could see for Yuri, you know, with the 10 strikeouts, six shutout innings, you know, only two hits, no walks. So, again, young guy that we've talked about before. They're sort of, you know, they're trying to not overextend him too much, but you like to see, obviously, for his sake in a development sense, And also for a benefit of the team, you like to see the fact that he is starting to get back on track after the pause that he went through.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, six shutout innings, only gave up two hits, didn't walk anyone, which for me was key, especially after the first two starts since coming back, fell behind the count a good bit or was just getting ambushed. So the fact that he only gave up two hits against a lineup that, again, that out of teams not named the Atlanta Braves is probably the deepest in Major League Baseball this year in the Dodgers. For him to hold them the two hits and to not walk anybody, for me, that was very impressive. And you could tell he's shaking the rust off, which after a month of not really doing too much and just toiling in the minor leagues, there was some rust that was to be expected, as we explained on last week's episode. To see him finally get back to where he was, six innings, only 90 pitches. Again, they're not going to push him beyond, they're not going to push him up to 100 pitches in any of the outings the rest of the way. So for him to be able to go 90 pitches and still give him six, quality shutout innings was solid. And the 10th strikeouts too. I mean, the 10th strikeout on his final pitch was to Freddie Freeman. He, and he was the one guy who was able to hold Mookie Betts in check. As I mentioned before, with just how dominant he was all the entire series. Perez is a key to the Marlins success down the stretch. He's obviously not the key. That to me is still Sandy Alcantara continuing to refine his Cy Young-esque level of performance that he had last year. And we've been seeing it since the all-star break. He's a sub three RA over his, I believe we're up to seven starts now since the break, six innings, three earned runs allowed on Friday. All three of those home uh, earned runs were solo home runs, which as Skip Schumacher has said before, especially when you end up getting 11 runs of support, you'll take the solo home run. It's just not letting walks and multi-home runs, multiple run home runs come back to bite you. So for Sandy, three Three missed pitches out of a six inning outing against the Dodgers. You take that, especially considering how much Sandy has struggled in Los Angeles. His start last year, I think he gave up nine or 10 runs and only went a couple innings. He just hasn't had good luck out in Shea ravine and for him to have that outing and then to be able to bounce back there and now to hopefully continue it in the Padres series. He's supposed to go, he's scheduled for the Wednesday game. That's, a key for this Marlins team down the road to make sure the starting pitching is at the level that they thought it was going to be at the start of the season to be able to back up the offense, whether or not it's actually doing what they need it to do.
0: Yeah, and, and there's no doubt he's been a lot better in the second half. I mean, well, all the struggles he had early on that were worrisome, he started to put it together. And, you know, if you can have him, you know, Yuri's a rookie and they're managing his workload. So how's that going to translate? should this team really get in the postseason, let's say, or, you know, and Braxton Garrett isn't a proven commodity when it comes to postseason or anything like that. So you still want to rely on the guy who has the most experience in that, in in that rotation in there specifically with the Marlins, you know, that's the one, he's the key to me, like, and, and especially with injuries, you know, it, it, Edward Cabrera has been, you know, up and down sometimes, obviously with injuries for a long time, there's a lot of, you know, moving parts there that could happen where you want to have your ace, your, your true ace, really ready to go and at his most effectiveness. And when you not only in the postseason, but during the stretch just to make the postseason, there's obviously no guarantees right now is there that dogfight that we've mentioned before. But going back to that lineup, Bell and Berger, you know. The what, are we, what was the cheesy thing we came up with? The, the bell ringing, the the burger sizzling the other day. Yeah, I think that's what we ended up going it, with. Yeah, it it is uh it is a must if this team is going to do get that achieve that level of uh, of steadiness throughout the lineup, it's going to be with those two guys. And they they it's amazing. Again, we say it how quickly they've how quickly they've acclimated into this lineup, and how quickly they have started producing. I mean, you know, two veterans, of course, but I mean, Bell, seventeen games. 288, has six home runs, tied for the fifth most in the majors since playing his first game on August 2nd. Berger is hitting 359, which, good thing too, because, you know, I, I, I I'll admit I had my doubts, you know, being a power guy, with a lot of high strikeout numbers. It's been a pleasant surprise the way he's been able to hit in this lineup, reaching safely in all the one of his games, you know, just like Bell. I mean, it, it, I think these two guys, I mean, I know we talk about others in this lineup, but it can't all be Luis Arias. You know, if Jazz were be able to do something down the stretch, it can't all be him either. These two new pieces really have to make those trades pay off to get them to the postseason. Yeah, no
1: doubt about it. And the thing with Berger is the the average is way up, but he's not compromising any of the hard-hit nature of of his production. I'm actually trying to pull up the exact numbers right now, but it's just been – Absolutely incredible to see what he's been doing, and it seemed like every time a ball comes off his bat, it's still very hard hit. I'm actually giving me two seconds and I'll stack catch search up. Uh, his average exit velocity is still about 91 miles an hour, and that's the average on 52 balls in play. And it seemed like the last couple last week or so, even when it's just singles or hard out, it's still he's hitting balls 100, 102, 103 off the bat. And he's elevating the ball and not right. swinging and missing as much, which was the big concern with him coming in. And to see him adapting to the Marlins style of play, which is get the ball in play and see what happens and still producing. It's a very positive sign for the, for him individually and for the Marlins moving forward. In, he's under team control for, I believe, at least four more years. So this was that trade when they sent Jake Eater away for Jake Berger. It was so they had a guy who still on the upswing of his career, 27 years old, but has that power potential to be a steady middle of the order back for the Marlins for years to come and to provide some instant impact this year. So they're seeing the fruits of the labor already paying off just three weeks in. And they know that this is just the beginning in terms of his Marlins career. So he's not just a rental. He's not just a guy who's going to be here for a hopeful playoff run this year and then gone. They have him under team control. And with Josh Bell, he has player option for next year that was that is, I believe, 16 and a half million, which is what he's making this year. I would not be surprised for him to take that because again, it just it comes down to the the question that he's gonna have to ask himself is what he's doing in a two month sample size with the Marlins enough for him to think that he can make more than that this offseason as a free agent, considering the struggles that he had in San Diego in the second half of last year after the Nationals traded him and his struggles through the bulk of this season when he was with Cleveland. Will teams believe that what he's doing now is what he can do long-term and be willing to give him more than the 16 and a half? Or does he say, you know what? I'll take that money. It's a lot of money. Do another year with the Marlins, hope it works out, and then go back to the free agent market an off season for now and then try to, try to cash in again. That's going to be a fascinating storyline to watch once the season ends. But for now... The Marlins are gladly taking what both Bell and Berger are giving them through their first three weeks with the club.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And now let's take a look uh, at that wild card race that we were talking about. Six weeks to go, six teams in it. Fortunately, only half of that is available for those teams. And uh, you, you did a, a nice breakdown, as I mentioned before, uh, Jordan, talking a little bit about what those six contenders, including the Marlins, still have to face down the stretch let's start at the top i mean we talk about the uh philadelphia phillies the team that that really you know got was on a roll was on fire in the playoffs last year almost took the whole the whole darn thing you know they have the remaining, if you look at the remaining schedule right now they have the top wild card 67 and 57 record as of this recording on monday three games left against the giants so straight up they're going to be battling one of those other contenders then they have the cardinals the angels two teams that are out of it at this point probably the brewers another contender right there in that central division then the padres still good on paper but not really in it marlins again two big series with atlanta another one against st louis and then some spoiler alerts as they play the mets seven more times and and the pirates three so when you look at the phillies i call it like i think it's kind of like a 50 50 ish in terms of difficulty in terms of schedule a lot of teams that they should beat but a few series there that are going to be very key against some tough some tough competition, and, and like you pointed out, that rotation and, and that lineup. Of course, you know with Turner, with Harper, Castellanos, Schwarber with his power, all those guys have experience from last year's playoff run. Lorenzen's been huge. I think Philly is still probably the team that takes takes it as far as getting in, getting one of the three for sure. But really, at a, in a position where they should probably be the one that hosts the first round series too.
1: Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you there. Again, just this Phillies team compared to all of the, the six teams that are left, they have the least red flags in my mind. Again, adding Michael Lorenzen and seeing what Michael Lorenzen has done. Again, he threw, I think he was seven or eight shot innings, his first start against the Marlins, then throws the no hitter. He just adds to that rotation. Again, you've got Wheeler, you've got Nola, you've got, a pretty good group there. Which again, once you get to the playoffs, you really only need three starters because of with off days and ways you can manipulate things. I feel like starting pitching wise, they have what they need. That lineup again, they have all these guys who have been in the playoffs before. They know what the experience is like. They know how it is to play under pressure, and they have the largest cushion of everybody. They're again, like you said, they're the top dog right now. Ten over five hundred. It's to me right now, the Phillies are if I had to lock in any of these six teams right now to say this team has the best chance to make it of the six, the Phillies are definitely that team. The other five, depending on how things play out, I could draw names out of the hat and say, yeah, this is why they can make it, or this is why they won't make it. (laughs) Philly for me is just has the cleanest chance in my mind of these six to get one of the three spots.
0: Yeah. And then after that, right now in the second wild card spot, you got those San Francisco Giants. Who you know? Ten. They're so streaky. Ten game winning streak in mid June. Then you know July's been eh, past forty two games. Like you pointed out, four game losing streak, seven game winning streak, six game losing streak, seven wins in nine. And now ten out of fourteen that they've dropped. I think if there's one team that's going to fall out of it, it would be them because I, I don't trust them. I, I just don't. That 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 roller coaster of a ride. It's, you know, it's 10 out of 14 right now, but who's to say down the stretch in September, it happens. I mean, they're going to face, obviously, a lot of division opponents, you know, the Rockies. They still have seven with the Rockies, so that, in theory, are games that they could, you know, kind of, like, gorge on and get a lot of of victories. But they've got seven against the Dodgers. So how's that going to play out? They still have to play the Braves. They still have to play the Phillies. They still have to play the Reds. I don't know. I, the Diamondbacks even two games. I don't. I don't know. I have a funny feeling like this is if there's someone that's going to slip out of it, it's going to be this team.
1: Yeah, and just for me, I don't see looking at the roster that one guy who, if they need a guy to carry them, they really don't have that guy. And right. the rotation is really two guys. It's Logan Webb and Alex Cobb, and then they're just manipulating other things to get through the other three spots. That's not sustainable. And we've right. seen how it's been unsustainable this recent stretch and throughout the course of the season. Their bullpen, I love. Camilo Duval is their closer. The Rodgers twins, Taylor and Tyler, have been great. But you look at their lineup. Patrick Bailey is their catcher. Lamont Wade Jr., their first baseman. Tyro Estrada at second base. J.D. Davis at third. Brandon Crawford's on the IL right now, so they have Yohan Camargo as one of their main guys at shortstop. Their outfield, uh, Yastrzemski's on the IL, so they have Conforto, Slater, and Gilio Ramos, I guess, is their main outfield group. Uh, Jock Pearson, Wilmer Flores rounding out the group in terms of players. Not really, again, it's, they need basically everybody to be working well at the same time for things to play out for them. And it's been like the last couple of years, the last couple of times they made the playoffs, I'm just like, I look at the roster and go, how? Again, it's good for them for making it and being able to make the push and competing in a competitive NLS, but just. The roster doesn't really make sense in my mind for just a team that you look at and go, yes, that's a playoff team. So, right. again, they're and again they're holding on to a thin wire. They're only a half game up on the Cubs in the number two spot, and only one and a half games up on the other three teams who are just out of the wild card spot. So, a slip here, a slip there, or another one of these streaks, and it's not looking good. They need to find a. They would need the Giants. We need to find a way to rack up wins and quickly, but. It just, for me, on paper, it seems like a tough path for them moving
0: forward. Yeah, and now the third team. Uh, of course, this one I think could change uh, depending on what happens on uh, Monday night. Uh, you know, as, as you're hearing this, as whoever's out there watching this or listening to this right now, um, the Cubs, 64 and 59, right now, the third spot, a game ahead of the Marlins. You look at their numbers. I mean, they they are the they're the surprise team. I mean, they're the they're the hottest team coming in right now. You know, they were under 500, looked like they'd be dead in the water, call it a season, sell pieces at the deadline. Then all of a sudden, everything flips. Marcus Stroman is is there pitching well. He stays on the team. Cody Bellinger stays on the team. They bring in Jamer Kindelario at the last minute of the trade deadline, 22 and 12 since then. And when you look at their schedule, yes, they're going to face the Brewers a lot. Yes, they're going to face the Reds a lot but I see the Rockies in there. I see the Pirates in there. I see the Tigers in there. It's again, similar to Philly where it's not there. They're going to have some difficult, some series that should be challenging than others where you at least you don't say easy, but at least you say the opportunities there to continue to gain ground. And I like, I'm all, I've always will go with the teams that get hot at the right time. The Cubs are doing that to me. This team is in.
1: Yeah. And again, when you think about it again, As we got to the all-star break, it was my thought process was, okay, who's getting Cody Bellinger? Who's getting Marcus Stroman? Who's what other players could the pubs potentially sell off because of where they were, how far behind they were in a relatively easy NL Central. And then again, they get hot and not only keep the guys, but take the best bat that was available on the market in Jaime Candelario, or at least the one that had the most talk going into the trade deadline. And for them to do it again, they're the they're the matter of if you commit to buying in, you can see a chance of it paying off. They're one of the examples of that, and they have a chance to really eat up some some time right now with the schedule. Again, the next seven being against Detroit and Pittsburgh, and then after that, seeing what happens with their divisional matchups. Which again, who knows? Again, the Cubs aren't that far behind of the Brewers for the top and for the top spot in the NL Central. Period. Because, again, that's, that's NL Central is still pretty wide open with both with the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Reds. So we could see some moving parts in terms of the division champion there as well. The Cubs are only three behind Milwaukee right now going into Monday. So Milwaukee could potentially be that team that flips into the conversation instead of the Cubs, depending on how things roll out. And since we talked about the good old expected wins, loss, and run differential the, last week, the Cubs have plus 65 run differential. The Milwaukee Brewers are plus five with a three-game lead on them. Yep. Cincinnati Reds, just we're going to talk about them in a little bit. They're at minus 27 and only one game behind the Cubs. So, again, it's a matter of winning those close games, being able to avoid the big blowouts. The Cubs have been doing their job, especially since the All-Star break. And you saw them trying to go for it during the offseason, them getting Dansby Swanson being the big ad and just seeing him with that veteran presence for that group and being a guy who won a World Series with the, with the Braves and knowing what it takes to get there and to be one of those guys in that clubhouse to rally that group, you've seen the results in the second half, and I am expecting it to continue going.
0: Yeah, and then, like you said before, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, it could definitely flip-flop for me in the Central. I mean, I like, I like what this Cubs team is doing, and I know I said they're in – and maybe, and you're right, I, I didn't stop for a second to think about the division. I think they can, I think they can leave Prague, Milwaukee. I think we're not even going to have to worry about them as far as a wild card. I think Milwaukee will be the team that's in there fighting for another spot. I do think that they won't slip that far though, that maybe they'll at least hang on to one of those wild card spots, which if, if we look at it that way, then let's look at our next team here. And that's, and now we're getting to the, to the territory of teams that are in a dead heat right now with the Marlins, at least going into the week. And that's the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are 64 and 61 as of Monday, just like the Marlins were. Let's just say were in past tense because by the time people see and, and, and hear this. But this is another team that, honestly, I don't see them making it because they're one of the surprise teams in the first half. 52 and 39, yes, but then 20 of 25, completely just fall after that. Now they've kind of, you know, restored a little bit, 7 of, of 9, but... You look at their schedule, and I think out of all these teams that you broke down here, all the teams that are in this fight, this team has the toughest slate remaining. Because, you know, when you talk about facing Texas and facing the Dodgers and then facing the Orioles and the Giants who are still directly in it and the Cubs seven times, not just two, both series. They still haven't even faced the Cubs. And they have three with the Astros. And, yes, they have the Yankees who, the Marlins, by the way, have broke the Yankees apparently with that Sunday after with that Sunday night comeback. <laughs> the Yankees have suddenly lost nine in a row and are dead. But it's late in the year. You never know. Maybe the Yankees are one of those spoilers when it comes to the Diamondbacks, too, at the end of the season if things, you know, just playing for pride or guys playing for jobs, et cetera, and that sort of thing. So long story short, Arizona's one of those teams that if, if they do make it, it, it'd be a little bit of a surprise for me, considering the schedule that they have to face.
1: Yeah, for me specifically, I'm looking at again with even with all of those big matchups against teams that are in the playoff hunt. For me, it comes down to that series against the Reds that they're going to have later this week. Because again, that's two teams tied, and as of the time of this recording, at the start of this week, that are going to be playing four games against each other. They could potentially, depending on how that series swings, could potentially knock one of them out of this race. Because again, four game series, that's potentially an eight game swing if there's a sweep one way or the other. If the Diamondbacks are able to hold muster there and at least do what they can to knock out to knock the Reds down the peg, that gives them a chance despite the tough schedule. If they lose, if they lose that series to the Reds, it just makes it that much harder for them to climb out considering everything else they have. And I mean, just watching their season as a whole, we saw. Corbin Carroll making the big impact in his rookie year. Zach Allen still making an impression on the mound. 3 one ERA over 26 starts. But really, that's been their bread and butter is uh, Zach, Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly being the one-two in their rotation and then hoping that uh, uh, Corbin Carroll and a couple of the other guys in their lineup are able to help give them enough of a cushion. That's, again, you're relying on two pitchers and really one primary back to sustain that group. It's tough to do, especially this late in the season, especially relying on young guys who haven't really been in this position to to do that down the stretch. I'm I would have to agree with Andre that I don't see the Diamondbacks making it to the playoffs. I feel like they can make it they can still be a team that makes it interesting down the stretch, but I think they're probably gonna fade.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love Corbin Corbin Carroll. I mean what he's done, I think he's one of the young stars of this league that's gonna continue to get better and better, but you're right. It can't just be on one guy. And um, another team that in a similar sense is still is also depending on a lot of young talent. And that's the Cincinnati Reds. You know, same record coming into the Monday's uh, compet- you know, Monday's action. You know, I, you, I, for people that don't know, I mean, I I, started talking to Jordan about this Ellie De La Cruz. And how impressed I was with him! I think back in April, or yes. was it April or May? Yeah, it was in April. Uh, it right? was, when was very high. early in the season. Yes, very early in the season. I love this kid. I mean, I think he, the second I, I started seeing, I mean, what was it? The cycle over the first few games, first few at bats. Then I think he yeah. gets a cycle, right? I think yeah. he got a cycle. After, yeah, because
1: right? you you miss. We misinterpreted the tweet that was <laughs> sent out, basically him saying it's saying that it, he was the first guy in in his first X amount of games to have X amount of doubles, triples, home runs, and Andre Messi right. going. He got the cycle twice already. And we was like, no, 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 that's no. overall. It's overall, not in individual games. And then he does cycle, has the inside the park home run the other day. He's just, he's yeah. fun to
0: watch. I, 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 it was not a, I guess the text was the tweet was a little bit poorly written in the sense that it wasn't too specific. And I was just like, okay, why? I, I feel like this would be made a little more of a big deal if this was happening right now for this guy, but no, he, he's a, he's, he's fantastic. And he's not the only one. They have plenty of guys, Spencer Steer, Matt McClain. Christian and strand, but is it enough? Are, are they are they poised enough to pull this off down the stretch? I think the schedule is not as not as tough as some of the other ones. They are going to face some directly face some of the guys, some of the teams that they're in contention with: the Giants, the Cubs. They do face the Twins. They'll have a little say in the AL Central situation too, with facing the Twins, facing the Guardians. But some series against the the Angels and the Cardinals and the Pirates too. So. Here, I mean, I've already, just from our, kind of our predictions here, let's do let's do this. So let's just not just break down the Reds, but now let's give our, our overall thoughts on who's going to make it. Like I said before, I, I'm going to go with the Phillies making it. I think the Cubs in some way will get in either as division champs, the Brewers will be the other, and then it really just comes down to, and let's relate it back to our home team here, either going to be the Marlins, Diamondbacks, Reds, or the Slipping Giants falling out of it. One of them is going to take that third spot. And you know what? I think it's going to come down to the Reds and the Marlins. And that is not an obstacle that's insurmountable by any means for the Marlins to sneak in as the third wild card.
1: Yeah, I'm agreeing with you there. And the one thing I'll say about the Reds versus the Diamondbacks in terms of the youth, at least for the Reds, similar to what the Baltimore Orioles, it's youth in numbers. It's multiple guys who have been up here for – a long time this season and have have begun to establish themselves versus it just being Corbin Carroll with the D backs. I see them and the other parts of it, when you look at the schedules again, Cincinnati still having a lot of games left against the NL central versus the Marlins having still three more with the Braves. They still have seven against the, they've seven against the Brewers uh, three at home, four on the road, uh, three more with Philly, another series with LA and they still have two more with the Rays. But, Then you look at the other half of their schedule. They have the Padres that are upcoming these next few days. They have 13 more total with the Nationals and the Mets and three with the Pirates. And for the Marlins, it's a lot of that on the quote-unquote lighter part of the schedule is coming in September. So you're going to be able to see that push down the stretch, down that final bit. And if the Marlins are able to, and circling back to what we talked about at the very beginning, if they're able to find a way to have the offense come to life. It doesn't have to be 11 runs a game, but if they can continue that four, five, six runs a game while the starting pitching does what the Marlins expect, this to me is a playoff team. Is it going to happen? I still can't say for certain just because after watching them so much this year, seeing them having to win a lot of games by the skin of their teeth. But that said, if they make it, and for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to say they make it over the Reds. If they make it, for me, at least – seeing how they've come back this year, all the time they've done it, they're tested in that department. And if they're going to be facing close games in the playoffs, it's not going to be like it's the first time they're doing it or the first time they have to come back to win a game. For me, right. that's that to me is if they make it, they can be that sneaky team just because of the way they got in with with all, with the come-from-behinds, with early on doing it without the, the starting pitching being a its prime and seeing how Bell and Berger specifically – have made this lineup that much different than the teams than the team that they were when they were having to scrap and claw and scratch to get those wins. So if I had to say right now, of those teams, I feel like the Marlins will sneak in as the third. It's not going to be a runaway by any means. I feel like it's going to come down to the last week with how many teams we have. But I do think at the end of the day, the Marlins are going to be able to find a way to sneak in. And then from there, as we saw last year with the Phillies, you get in, who knows what happens.
0: Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, I I think it, I do think it's gonna be them and the Reds. I, I do. It's gonna come down to that. And like I said before, like if it was if the third spot came down to them and the Cubs, I'd be worried. If it came if, if Philly suddenly hit a bad stretch and they fell into that mix for the third instead of the top spot, I wouldn't worry as much because of the familiarity and they have had success against them, but I would still say, uh-oh, because of Philly's experience, and I think Philly's a little more, you know, the clutch gene is there a little more this year than in years past. But I don't, I'm not, like, I wouldn't be afraid of, of that as far as, like, if I'm a, if, if if I'm the Marlins in that sense. I know they're not going to go head-to-head, but I don't know. I don't see the Reds being that team that just suddenly does not lose the final two weeks. I mean, with that youth, it could be up and down. That being said, it is the, it is going to be fun. It is going to be interesting to see who comes up with it. If they do get in, I'm telling you, I'm totally with you on that. I really think this team is, because, like you said, because of that rotation, it'll favor them even more in a short window in a small series. So there's no reason to think they can't go up to Philly in a two out of three, hypothetically speaking, or Milwaukee, let's say, and do what they did to the Cubs during the COVID season and just suddenly steal a quick series up there. All of a sudden, you're in the in the division series, and then obviously it gets a lot tougher, especially if your draw matches you up with the Braves, which in theory it would, being a four-five against the one. But hey, I mean, it's it's all gravy at that point if you get it. and not only get in the postseason in a year like this, but take your best shot against the uh, against the big bad wolf and, and see what happens. And just to quickly point out, the Marlins' record head-to-head
1: against the other teams that are in this wild card hunt. Uh, Arizona Diamondbacks they went four and two against them. The Chicago Cubs they went four and two against them. Cincinnati they split went three and three. Uh, who else we got Philly right now they're five and five. Uh, the Giants they went three and three. So they are at worst five hundred against every team that's in this hunt right they've and obviously the Braves we know the Marlins are one and nine against them. the Dodgers they've lost two of three so far. but in terms of the team that are they are directly competing against. They've at minimum held their weight against every one of these teams that if they make it, would they would most likely be facing in that first round matchup?
0: Yeah. And I just realized something. I think I I screwed that up a second because I was thinking in the four-five realm, thinking if they were like maybe the second wild card facing a team. But but actually, if they're the final wild card, it would be the 6-3 matchup. So actually yeah, if, they wouldn't. Whoever the central. The, where it was yeah. the central. So that applies to what I was saying about Milwaukee, that I still think yes. they could go up and beat a Milwaukee. And actually. It is better for the Marlins if they get that sixth seed because of the fact that, let's say, they go up to Milwaukee. Let's say they pull it off and get that two out of three. No, they do not get the Atlanta Braves, but they do get potentially maybe the Dodgers, which is still – but honestly, but this season, as talented on paper as the Dodgers may be, I think it's maybe slightly the lesser of two evils. I'd rather take my chances with them than Atlanta. I don't know Atlanta I mean, just looks seen, so ridiculous.
1: And again, we've seen the Marlins' record against Atlanta—not just this year, but the past five, six, seven years. The right. Braves have established themselves as that top team in the National League East for, again, they've won what five straight, five straight division titles. They have made their playoff mm-hmm. pushes, and that lineup is just—it's just ridiculous. There's no other word around it. When you look at—I think I remember seeing earlier last week. Uh, MLB network did a breakdown of the Braves lineup one through nine and their individual WRC pluses one, uh, weighted plus is what uh way the run created. Plus a hundred is considered league average. Their nine hole hitter. Michael Harris, II second is rated as a 99 just below mm-hmm. league average. Everybody else in their regular lineup is over a hundred. So and they're the only team in baseball that has a lineup. that's basically everybody at minimum is league average at its best. Well, you have Matt Olson and Ronald Cooney Jr. You have Ronald Cooney Jr. and Matt Matt Olson batting one two. A guy who could potentially steal 60 some bags, hit 30 home runs, MVP and then candidates. yeah. And Matt Olson yeah. hitting I think he's he's close to 45 bombs already this More year. Well hitting
0: like MVP. I mean yes. my ballot right now would probably be one and two. You know, yeah, the way they're playing. Yeah. So it's just if you can avoid the
1: Braves as long as possible in that in the yep. playoffs, you thank your lucky
0: stars if you're able to do that. Oh, absolutely. You at least roll the dice and, and at least hope Correct. that maybe... And remember, then they get the Dodgers in a 3 out of 5, which, yes, it's a longer series, but again, it's not that wider best-of-seven format. A little more elements there of maybe, just maybe, you could sneak by. I, I don't, I'm i saying that, and I'm, I'm saying wishful thinking, because I, LA is still LA. Yeah. You know, I, I have more confidence. I, I, I just projecting this feel would feel a little more confident in them in the first round if they get in. Like I said, I really think they're built in a two out of three. The pitching would give them an advantage, even if they have to go on the road. After that, it's like, take your best shot, see what happens. But again, to to your point, I mean, we saw this coming. We saw what Atlanta has built up there. We saw on and off the field what they've sustained. We talked about it a lot a few years ago. You and I did that project together and showed how their rebuild just became – this monster that they are now—they haven't been this good. They haven't been this sustained good since the early '90s, when Correct. you know. I know they. Didn't, I know they didn't win the title with those years, which was a darn shame, you know. When they had all those pitchers, you know, with, with Smoltz and Glavin and Maddox, but this might be—they're probably not. at The rotation isn't that good in terms of so many potential, you know, basically a bunch of aces in your rotation. But the team itself, overall, the the roster, the the franchise, the 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 farm system, you name it. The, the, the organization hasn't looked this good since then. And that's pretty scary because it doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon.
1: Correct. And again, they've basically locked up their entire lineup for the next God knows how many years too already. So yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. that's It's not good news for the NL East or I mean, not even the NL East, the entire both major league baseball as a whole. It's not, it's not good for, for anybody if you're having to face those Braves. I, mean, I think, I think people get the idea of who our World Series favorite is already. But we'll come back later on in the season when we get a little closer, assuming the Marlins stay in it. And I'm sure we'll revisit these picks and kind of take another stab at the playoff picture as we get deeper into, into – uh, well, after August and really get into September into the nitty-gritty as we get closer to the playoffs. But thanks, everybody, once again, like always, for uh, for watching us and for listening to us. Remember, you can catch the Fish, Bite, Fish Bites podcast on a weekly basis on your favorite podcatcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Watch us at MiamiHerald.com or on YouTube. For Jordan McPherson, I'm Andre Fernandez. We'll see you guys again next week.